The following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Well, open your Bibles, if you would, please, to two locations, book of Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, when you get there, put your finger in that spot, and then turn over to First uh, Timothy chapter number 3. And so the question that I kind of want to come at this before we read the question I kind of want to have in our mind's eye is, does life in church really matter? Is life in the church really important? And I guess you could even say it this way, is it worth it? Is church life worth it? Especially in today's day and times. Now, <clears throat> now I want to get this kind of out there, this idea, this standpoint of participation and conviction, um, uh, you know, it, do we have the conviction of being part of a local New Testament church? Do we have the desire to be participating in the local New Testament church? This is kind of what I want to look at. And so there are challenges in churches, and, and let's just be honest, let's, let's, let's go ahead and get it out there in the open. Church life kind of brings with it relationships, Right? Relationships can be hard. <laughs> if you if if you don't if you're thinking sitting there thinking, I get along with everybody. Relationships aren't hard for me. Maybe you're the one they're having a hard time getting along with. Okay, so relationships can be difficult. Uh, there are challenges in there. There are disagreements. There are difference of uh, of interest. Uh, and so, as we get into this, the question of does it really matter? Here's the spoiler alert. Yes, yes. It does matter. Not only is church life encouraged by Scripture, but it's even commanded. It's commanded. And, and God expects every believer to be part of the local church, the local New Testament church, both in the aspect of their convictions as well as in the aspect of their participation. This is something that God wants of us and he desires of us. And so as we look at this, and we're going to find in our study this month, there are many different points that I'm going to try to be pulling out, uh, we'll be making regarding church life. Uh, one, uh, next week we'll be looking at the identity of the church. Uh, the following week we'll be looking at the function of the church and then uh, the unity within the church. Now, while all these aspects are important and vital, otherwise I wouldn't be talking about them over the next several weeks, there's one that we're going to look at this morning. It's the importance of the local New Testament church. And, and we're going to be answering that specifically because we need this foundation um, uh, otherwise, unity is of no value if the church isn't important. So if the church really doesn't matter, who cares if we're united? Uh, the, the function of the church really isn't, isn't uh, uh, a concern to me personally if I don't view the church itself as important. And who really cares what the identity of the church is if church isn't important? And so what we need to understand is we we place things of value uh, based on our uh, our estimation of their worth. And so looking at this um, sort of from a, uh, a, a, a physical standpoint, this is a very valuable ring to me. Very valuable. More valuable than any of the other rings that I own, which I really don't own that many. But this one's valuable above the rest because it's the one that my wife gave to me and placed on my finger. It's of high value to me. Um, for me to lose that ring would bother me greatly. 
It would, it would get under my skin if I misplaced it. Brother Troy and I were talking about this just the other day where he had taken his off for, because of work and couldn't find it for a while. <laughs> he tore the house up trying to find his ring. Because this is a value. Do we have the same value to the house of God? To the house of God. Go ahead and stand with me, if you would, as we open up with reading. We'll start in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll read that passage, and then we'll jump over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Notice the word of the Lord here says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. No, we're not going to be talking about marriage this morning, but I want you to notice this next part. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Let's start there as a springboard that Christ loves the church. So ought we. Flip on over now if you would, and you can keep something if you want to in those two places because we'll be referencing those from time to time as we go through this. Look at 1 Timothy now, chapter number 3. Look at verse 14 with me. Paul writing to Timothy, he says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Gracious Father, give us wisdom and understanding as we get into your word this morning and help us to see you clearly in these pages. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. We're going to be looking at, at several things. Mostly this morning, we're going to be focusing in on the importance of the church. Now, I, I understand that there is a differentiation between the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and the, the, the Bible refers to us as being part of the body of Christ and part of the bride, but we're talking specifically this morning about the local New Testament church. I'm a local church person. I believe in the local New Testament church. I, I'm, I'm not a, a big fan of this, you know, just universality of the church. This is a local uh, assembly. And when I refer to that, what I refer to is we here at Liberty Bible Church are our own separate autonomous entity. And so some office in Tuscaloosa or somewhere else doesn't decide what takes place here. We allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide us, to direct us, to lead us in the, the way we ought to go. We allow the Holy Spirit of God uh, to be our, uh, our government and our foundation. We allow Christ to do that. And so we're talking local New Testament church. And in the local New Testament church, all through Scripture, you find references to this. And right here, here in 1 Timothy 3, we see that very reference that Paul is talking about. Don't forget in 1 Timothy 3, he outlines the qualifications of the leadership of the church. And so as we move from the very beginning of chapter 3 all the way down to our current uh, placement, he's talking about how these different people ought to be placed in position within the church. This is not talking of a universal church. He's talking of a local New Testament church. And if you look in verse 15, he says, I'm giving you all of this stuff. He says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave in the house of God which is the church of the living God. And he's talking specifically of these assemblies personally. He says it's important for us to know how we ought to behave and how we ought to, uh, uh, to live our lives. It's important for us to understand this, and it was so important to him that he wanted to pin this out and give them an understanding of polity. This is one of those what they call pastoral epistles where, where Paul is instructing the pastor how to shepherd the church. 
So as we find ourselves making our way through this, it's important for us to understand what we're really talking about. We're not talking about, we're talking about the church, we're not talking about something that is tradable or dispensable. We're talking about a local assembly. This is not about joining a gym and showing up when you feel like it. I know I'm not the only one that has gotten a gym membership only to not use it. How how many of you have a a real expensive clothes hanger in your basement? Uh, A lot of people call those treadmills, ellipticals, exercise bikes. Let's just call it what it is, right? And I mean, we, we get a gym membership and we join, we, we had the best intentions, especially this time of the year. This time of the year, man, gym memberships skyrocket because everybody comes out of that, you know, it's been Thanksgiving, it's been Christmas, and now oh, I've got to lose all those extra pounds that I gained. And so I'm going to join a member and join a, 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 a gymnasium here, and I'm going to go down to Planet Fitness or wherever it is that you want to go, the, the purple one, right? And they're the cheapest ones, so we're going to go there, and we're going to show up, and we're going to work out every day. Every day I'm going to sweat to the oldies, right? And then what happens? Monday comes along, and I'm sweating. Tuesday comes along, and I'm sweating. Wednesday comes along, and I'm, I'm hitting the snooze button. I'll work out twice as hard Thursday. Thursday comes along, and we go, and we sweat. Friday comes along, we go, and we sweat. Saturday comes along, and it's a nice day, and still hunting season. And so we go hunting instead. And it's Sunday, Sunday, right? We got to... We, we reserve Sunday for football, right? <laughs> and then Monday comes along, and I go out, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go, but I think today I'm just going to walk on the treadmill. And so we just walk on the treadmill. Those weights, that's, nah, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to overdo, right? You, you can overdo exercise. And Paul even said bodily exercise profits little, right? And so... So I'm just going, I don't want to overdo it. And so Monday, I'm going to take it easy. And then, you know what? I probably shouldn't do it every day. Maybe I'll just do it every other day. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday is now my new routine until the boss wants uh, extra, a little bit of time on Mondays. He says, we're going to call an extra meeting. So now it's just Wednesdays and Fridays because you can't do two days back to back, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. That just doesn't make sense, right? And so then eventually what happens after about a month of the gusto, you haven't gone couple weeks go by, you still haven't gone to the gym, but I'm still a member. <laughs> they still get my uh, membership dues even. I'm, I'm keeping it. I'm keeping my membership just in case I want to go back. That's not church life. Well, let me say it this way. That's not the way it should be with church life. But sadly, many people, this is how they approach. Uh, today's view of the church has become an elective suggestion. No one, no one has to go to church anymore. Listen, you don't have to go to church to be saved. I want that to be abundantly clear. Going to church doesn't make you any more saved than the person who hasn't gone yet. But when I am born again by the Spirit of God, Going to church is good evidence that that truly took place. Because I have a hunger and I have a desire for the things of God. I have a hunger and I have a desire to to sing the praises of God. I have this hunger and desire that when the word of God is open, that I am there to partake in it. And so as we look at this, the sad thing is, is many times we go when we feel like it, when we can benefit from it, uh, we, we feel obligated or whatever it may be. Sadly, many uh, have made the church about themselves. And this is why the importance starts to wane. Many today have wondered, as I'm sure many of you probably have wondered, is it even necessary to go to church? Is, is church attendance even necessary? We're in a day and time, we're in a, a, a day when it is completely easy to not go to church. Think about it. We live stream, 
We even uh, uh, have our sermons published on uh, uh, Sermon Audio so that the podcast is there. And if, if you didn't make it this Sunday, you couldn't live stream it this Sunday, you can watch it later. And we started live streaming years ago, not just because of COVID. We started live streaming years ago so that those of our number who were not able uh, to make it because of illnesses. I think of, uh, I think of Sonia and Jeff. I think of Dr. Desai uh, and, and his family. I think, of, I think of the people who have benefited as a result of that, who truly desired to be in the house of God but couldn't and felt isolated, felt that they weren't able to be part of anything because they weren't around, and then they were able to tune in to live stream. What a wonderful day we have. What a wonderful day. And so we think to ourselves, well, I can join online. Do I really need to go? I can listen to it later. Is it really that big of a deal? But then also I've talked with people who have completely checked out of church. And they've given up on attending churches at all because they don't, want, they don't like the way people in the church have acted. They don't like the way that people in the church have treated them. Others would prefer a parachurch ministry or something. Well, I go to a Bible study on uh, Tuesdays, and, and I tune in to uh, uh, David Jeremiah or whoever it may be. And that's not meant to replace. And we need to understand the importance of these things. And so not just allowing these supplemental ministries to take the place of a Bible study or, or to take the place of church, but to get involved and be part of it. But I see a common thread of the reasoning. I looked up the statistics that many people give for going to church and not going to church. Now, while there are some who belittle the idea of church completely, there are others who go to church but with the wrong reasoning. A Pew Research gave to us uh, uh, a lot of an understanding here as to why people want to go. See if any of these reasons maybe apply to you. 16% say that they attend church to please their spouse. 19% say that they uh, go to church to meet new people and socialize. 31% uh, say that they go due to a feeling of obligation. 37% to continue family religious obligations. Now, mind you, some of the people, uh, some of the different... Um, um, uh, responses here are based on uh, multiple answers to the same. So if you're trying to do the math and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't add up. Just give me a minute. 57% um, uh, say that they want to be part of a community of faith. 59% to because they find the sermons of some value. 66% go to church because they want to feel comfortable in times of sorrow and trouble. 68% say they want to be made a better person. That's why they attend church. 69% uh, responded that they wanted to give their children a strong foundation. Then 81% said, well, they want to get closer to God. Now, Understanding all of these different responses, and I said, just kind of listen to see if any of these uh, uh, bear any weight for you, if this is maybe the way uh, that you were thinking as well. Um, it, my hope today is to be a help. This is my hope and desire in this. I truly believe that many just do not see how important they are in God's plan. And this is where the rubber really, truly meets the road. Do you understand that the God who spoke the worlds into existence doesn't need you? <laughs> he said, let there be light, and there was light. He doesn't need me to stand up here and preach. He doesn't need somebody teaching kids in Sunday school. He doesn't need that. He desires to use us that way. He wants you. Let's get that right. 
And the local New Testament church is that place where you and I can enact our God-given gifts and abilities to be used by Him. If our whole approach to spirituality, our whole approach to Christianity, our whole approach to Christ is all about me and what I get out of the situation, I'm going to miss that completely. No, my friend, God doesn't need you. He wants you to benefit them. This is what the local New Testament church is about. It's not about what's here for me. I show up to see, well, do they have a good teen program? Do they have a good children's program? Do they have a good music program? Do they have a good, well, I came into the church and, and you know, people were running around and they had all this different stuff going on. Nobody shook my hand today. It's not about that. It's not about any of that. The church is where you are going to be given your opportunity to serve him with what you have. Here's the issue. The majority of those reasons that I gave are really, if you think about it, about the self. One writer penned it this way. He said, if you are only attending church, why? I mean, it it really doesn't make sense to go if that's the only thing. I'm just attending. Why? He said it this way. He said, people need to stop going to church and start being the church. But we have this mentality in today's day and culture where all I want to do is I want to go there to get. I want to go there so that I can have. I want to go there so that I can gain. I want to go. No, 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 my friends. Stop going. Start being the church. This is what the apostle was trying to get through to us. And we're going to look at this very closely. But before we go there, here's what I want you to kind of think about this. Jerry Bridges, in a comment uh, uh, that he made in an article, says this. He says, um, this article is on commitment. He says, as I have watched the parade of people through our church and other churches, I wonder why so few commit themselves to a local body of believers in a significant way. Many sit and soak, but do little else. They flee at the first sign of trouble or pressure. They fail to become involved or to give. The priority for corporate worship falls far down on the list. They criticize all that is wrong with a specific local congregation. He later goes on to say, what can we do besides comment or complain? We need to accept the challenge to commit ourselves to responsible membership. Becoming part of of a church means that you become part of a family. And to become part of a family means that you take on responsibilities. But many are afraid to join the church because they don't want to get hurt. They don't want to join the church because they don't want to be accountable. They don't want somebody calling them up and saying, hey, missed you. Where were you? You doing okay? They don't want to, uh, maybe they don't want want to have to do for someone else. I, I, I like showing up and just, Letting people serve me. That's fun. I mean, do you, do, you, do you go to O'Charlie's for the hope that there's no waitresses and you have to go cook your own meal and serve it to yourself? I mean, if I really want to do that, I'll just go home. If I show up to O'Charlie's and they don't have any cooks in the kitchen, they don't have anybody, uh, any host uh, you know, telling me where I can sit, they don't have a server bringing me my food and everything, that's the whole purpose of going to O'Charlie's or Applebee's or wherever it is that you want to go. The whole purpose of going is what? To be served. People have that same mentality with church. That ought not to be so. We ought to not go and the okay, what you got for me? You have gifts. You have talents. You have abilities that other people don't have. And God says, come, use them. Benefit one another this way. So, what is the importance of the church and why is it even importance? <clears throat> we're going to look at this passage here that we just read, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to dissect it a little bit this morning. Notice there, 
He says, uh, verse 15, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. I want you to notice that word house. This is an interesting thing. First noticing this house of God uh, literally means, in, it literally comes from the Greek word oikos, not the yogurt, okay? It literally means, guess what? House. That's deep Greek right there, buddy. That's good stuff. You know what the house really represents? Not just the structure. Have you ever read maybe of the house of Usher? It's in reference to the household, the family. You are part of the household of God or the family of God. Galatians 6.10 says it this way, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. This is an important thing for us to grasp. It's used in Galatians, but it's also used elsewhere in reference to the household, meaning the family or the whole body of people. The very terminology of this lends to the understanding that the church is meant to be a family, the house of God, the family of God, the church of the living God. This is an understanding for us. So the very terminology given to here, believers become children of God. It says that to, to any who believed on him, to them gave he the right to be called the children of God, the sons of God. If you are a child of God and they are a child of God, and I am a child of God, that makes us family. And we ought to be doing things familially. We ought to be doing things to benefit one another as a family. This idea further suggests this newfound relationship with God through Christ is not only individual and personal, but societal. The household of God is made up of born-again believers living in Christian fellowship with one another. That's the house of God. Working together, coexisting together. How we treat one another and how we prefer one another is a testimony to the world of the family of God. But let's just be honest. When you were, uh, maybe uh, maybe you're older and you've already been married, you've already experienced all that, and, and when you were getting ready to get married, right, you, you, you looked at your uh, significant other and, and you wondered to yourself, boy, I wonder what kind of relationship I'm going to have with their siblings or their parents or their aunts. Look, when you marry somebody, you get their crazy aunts and uncles too. Phew. Right? And, and, and it's easy to step back from time to time and you think about it later and you're like, oh, what did I get myself into? I don't like this guy. Right? I married her. Does he have to come with it? Yep, that's her favorite uncle. Yep, deal with it, right? Have you ever wondered what people on the outside see when they examine our family? Do they see dysfunction? Do they see complaint and criticism? I mean, if, if, if people were to look and say, Hmm, do I want to be part of that family or not? I wonder what our attitude toward the family of God would say to them. Would they run in terror, screaming? Or would they say, man, that's a family that loves one another. I want to be a part of that. See, the question comes into belonging. Do you belong to the family? Are you part of it? You can look at this in two different ways. Uh, one, have you even accepted Christ as your Savior? If you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, beloved, you're not my brother or sister. I had a kid ask me one time why everybody, why, why do people call each other brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so? And, and I was explaining to them about being born again and when we're born of the Spirit of God, you know, I become their brother. And I'm talking to this kid who has yet to accept Christ as Savior. He is not my brother. 
So should I be calling him brother? And it dawned on me, and I thought to myself, oh, that's why when I was in children's ministry, I started becoming Mr. Andy. Because I didn't want to sow confusion. But that's the whole reason that a lot of people say brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Are you part of this family? Maybe you're part of the family of God as a whole. Maybe you're part of the bride of Christ, but you have not attached yourself to the local New Testament church. Well, let's take care of that. Well, let's look. You know, so the sad thing is some have allowed the sins of others, like I was talking about a while ago. People don't want to be part of the church because they don't want to get hurt. Some have allowed the sins of others to ruin their view as a whole of the family of God. How many of you, you don't have to show hands because, you know, that would maybe embarrass somebody. But maybe one of you all have that crazy relative that you don't want the rest of the world judging your family based on that one aunt or uncle, you know. You know, you got your family, everybody's gathered together at the restaurant and, oh, he, oh, Uncle Charlie showed up. Oh, dear Lord, this is going to be bad. And the only thing you can do is apologize over and over and over to the waitress, right? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, the rest of us aren't like that, yeah. then we ought not to judge the church based on those crazy Uncle Charlies. So if that's you this morning and you've been hurt, can I apologize on behalf of the family and ask you not to judge the rest of the family by crazy Uncle Charlie? Second, it's not just a family, but it's whose family? That's what it says, that thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of, what's that next word? House of, got a couple of you awake still. The expression continues beyond just the house, but it's whose house. It is God's family. So going back to Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter 5 there again. Notice what it says in verse 24. It says this, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Go back to verse 23. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Understand that Jesus is the head of the family and ought to be the one setting the pattern, and he did. He did set the pattern for the way that this church ought to behave. And then we read there in verse 24, so let the, therefore as the church is subject unto Christ. Beloved, Christ has certain things that he expects of us. And we, the church, are expected to be subject to that. Paul doesn't say if the church. He says as the church is subject unto Christ. And so that's an automatic, it's an insinuation that the church is going to do what Christ has asked them to do. So somebody may say, well, pastor, what has Christ asked us to do? What does Christ want of us? I'm glad you asked. Go to John chapter 15. Go to John chapter 15. Jesus being the head of the family ought to be the one setting the pattern because he is the head He is in charge. I want you to notice this, John chapter 15. This is Jesus talking about being the vine and the father being the husbandman or the gardener. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. So first and foremost, there is a uh, co-indwelling that's taking place. I am to abide in him, and he is to abide in me. It's not a one-way street. He abides in me, I respond, and I maintain my walk. I try to stay as best I can, abiding in his presence. Now, this is a personal thing, one-on-one. This is between you and God. This is between me and God. This is not about the corporate thing. But he lets us know that no one can bear fruit unless they're able to abide in him, unless they're willing to stay abiding in that truth and abiding in his presence. So jump over to John chapter 17 for the rest of the story. 
John chapter, chapter 17, many people refer to Matthew chapter 6 or Luke chapter 11 as, as, as the Lord's Prayer. This in John 17 is truly the Lord's Prayer. This is Christ praying before he uh, heads to his, uh, uh, to his passion, to his, his desire and his, his goal in ministry. And he's praying, he's talking to the Lord. Notice what he says in verse 20. He says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Stop. He's not only praying for the apostles, he's praying for you right there. You. Christ, before he went to the cross, talked to his father about you. Get it personally. And he says this, that they, talking about all of us, may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me have I given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me." Jesus commands in verse 4 of chapter 15 that we are to abide in him. But then he also says in John chapter 17, he said he prays for unity. So often people focus on their individual relationship with God. It's all about what I do, and I'm, I'm working on my relationship with God at home. I don't have to go over there to be with them. I don't have to show up for church. I don't have to be part of the ministry. I don't have to do anything. As long as I'm working on myself and my personal walk, that's all that matters. Wrong. Jesus' desire, the head of the church's desire was that we would be united, one. And we are to be automatic subjecting ourselves to that. There's a oneness. And we're gonna look at the unity here in a couple weeks a little bit more. But Jesus had the desire that we would be one with God, but also that we would be one with one another. Not one with the pastor, Not one with my friends at the church, but one with the body. And so last, let's look at the last thing here over in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says in verse 15, but if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the pillar, uh, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. This is an interesting one, and I I got you an object lesson so you can wake your neighbor up and say, hey, check this out. It's going to be fun. I hope it works. I hope it works. What does it mean to be the pillar and ground of truth? The two words that are used here, one pillar, stulos, from stuo, meaning to stiffen or properly to become a base for or a post to support. Okay, the other one is the word for ground. It's uh, hedromai, uh, which is a derivative of uh, uh, of a word meaning support or the basis for. So let's let's think for just a minute here, because a lot of people have have really messed this verse up to say um, that the church is the foundation of all truth. The Bible tells us no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the foundation of the church, okay? Understand that. The church is not the foundation of truth. The church, uh, truth does not get its authority from the church. Truth gains its authority by being simply truth. Truth is truth, and that's where the authority comes from. The church gains its authority from the truth. Uh, And so this passage is not saying that the church is what uh, the truth gets its authority from, but rather the church is the pillar and the, uh, the ground or the one that holds out and presents the truth. So let's think for just a moment. We have truth. And we have the gospel. This is the truth. Now, I wanted to make it look to where we could actually see it. I hope my art skills have impressed everyone. But we have the gospel, and we have to put it somewhere. We want to display it. Uh, I don't want to mess there. Um, How about I just put it here and hope that everybody can see it, right? Doesn't work too well. Well, 
The church is to be the pillar, the ground, the support of truth. Sadly, this is what ends up happening. We set it. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. And we go, okay, I'm going to. Not a very good base, is it? Sadly, that's what the church looks like to a lot of people. Because they've got one leg that works well, one that doesn't want to come out, and the others that just don't want to stay. And this is how we're supporting the gospel? That's not the way we ought to be, folks. We are not to present it that way. Rather, the gospel is not some two-year-old's attempted artwork. The gospel is something gloriously beautiful. The gospel is something to be presented and to be put out before the world to let them see, look how beautiful the gospel can be. And we don't want to just put it down where maybe people aren't, but the church is supposed to come alongside and we want a good, solid, firm foundation for the truth. We want it to be able to withstand and it's not going to go anywhere. And so when we come together as a body of believers, a good, solid, solid leg over here, another solid leg, a nice solid pedestal that's not loose and falling apart, but something that can support the gospel, something that can hold it up, that can put it where everybody can see. This is what we want. Our church needs to be solid, needs to be stable, and when we've got people just showing up when they feel like it, not doing anything, just sitting and being sponges, and we've got five people trying to do everybody's job because nobody wants to do anything for the gospel's sake, that's what we look like. We got a table over here, Brother Sean, let you know about. Now, I know somebody might be saying, well, I'm saved and I'm, I'm part of the bride of Christ. But again, I'm speaking specifically of the local New Testament church today. Here's the main point. If the church is to be the pillar and ground of truth. Which part are you? Which part are you? Are you the leg that doesn't want to lock in place? Or perhaps you're the leg that doesn't want to move. Or you're the part that Causes the weight to move to the other side. What part are you? Where are you lining up in the church of the living God? Are you happy just being a visitor to the family, just showing up for dinner? Invite me for dinner, but I don't actually want to be part of the family. If someone looked at your willingness to connect to the body, would they be encouraged to join as well? Or is this an equivalent to a movie theater? Just show, get what I want to get, make sure to refill my bucket of popcorn before I go home. If someone looked at your faithfulness to the house of God, would they be encouraged to be faithful as well? Remember, I said I don't want to do anything other than be a help this morning. I truly believe that there are people who want to get involved but just don't know how. I'd be happy to serve if someone would just tell me what to do. That's what that table's for. And it's going to be here for a while. Here's one way that we can actually serve. Got some cards. 
And I got a couple young men that are going to go out and they're going to pass all these cards out. It's a simple little card. You're invited, family worship service. They're going to make sure that everyone in the church gets one of these. On the back side, it's got a little place that says, Dear, there's a blank. So that you can personally invite someone. Just take them all the way down there, David. Give them to everybody, whether they want one or not. Yeah, there you go. Hand them all out. There you go. You can let them know what the date's going to be. The time's already penciled in there for you. The invitation's already there. You just got to put their name and the date. Last Sunday of this month, we're going to have a family fellowship. We're going to have church and then a fellowship meal to follow. And every one of us can invite someone to that. Just one. Each one, just try to reach one. Just to make sure that everybody has a way that they can serve, a way that they can get involved. This table over here also has different jobs. And at the conclusion of the service, I do want people going over there. If you're already serving in an area, please make sure that you put it on that list as well. Because we're trying to, we want to amass these teams and get these teams built together so that then I can say to Debbie, hey, put this for the communication team. Here's all the people on this group. Here's all the people on this group. Here's all the people in this group. She wants to be able to make those uh, groups, put all those groups together. So be a help with that. You're already saying, well, I already do something. I don't need to sign up. No, please go over there and sign your name anyway. Please get on over there and put your name on you don't have to just be on one. You, can, you get the privilege and opportunity to serve in multiple places. And we're not going to put a cap on it. Don't wait, well, is the church going to only want me to do one? No, you're going to sign up on all of them. I don't care. But take a look at them. And here's what I want you thinking. If you call Liberty Bible Church your home, if you attend Liberty Bible Church, how are you benefiting the whole? What's your part? you didn't show up next Sunday, who would miss you? We got a big job to do. Supporting. This will survive without us. But the people out there that need to see this, they need us holding it up. Showing them the gospel. You know, when I preach... Sometimes I hurt when I look out and I notice that there are people missing. It's not because I, I feel like I was cheated, but because I missed them. I genuinely missed them. My mind goes over several folks that aren't able to be here today. I missed them. My heart hurts because it's part of my family that's missing. What about you? I'll end this with a poem written by someone unknown. It says simply this, I am an empty pew. I vote for the world against God. I deny the Bible. I mock the preached word. I rail at Christian fellowship. I laugh at prayer. I break the fourth commandment. I am a witness to solemn vows that are broken. I advise men to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. I join my voice with every atheist and rebel against human and divine law. I am an empty pew. I am a grave in the midst of the congregation. Read my epitaph and be wise. I am an empty pew. Brothers, sisters, we're church. We are a family of God. Some of your brothers and sisters are getting tired. They're getting worn out. They need you to come alongside them and help. Some of your brothers and sisters are getting frustrated. They need you to come alongside them and help calm the storm. 
Where do you fit in this? What can you do to help? Father, we come before you, Lord, asking that you would work in our hearts. Father, for the one who doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that the family of God was attractive to them. Father, for the one who does know you and has been serving, maybe they're getting weary and well-doing, I pray that you would renew their spirit, encourage their heart this morning. Father, for the one who knows you but hasn't been busy about your business or maybe just hasn't found a way, they weren't sure, I pray that today was the day that they found a way that they can serve you. God, I pray that you and your glorious gospel would be seen high and lifted up as a result of this body of believers binding together in unity and faith. We pray these things for your son's sake because we pray them in his name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.